Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Matt. Uh, I, uh, I'm part of the teaching team here. I lead a life group with, with Rachel. Um, yes, please, if it's your first time, do stick around at the, at the end of the service. Um, and if it is your first time, we've been in this little shorter uh, series, teaching series here at Grace City for a while on this subject of anti-heroes. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of John. And if you have been around Grey City for a little while, uh, you may remember that before we took a break in August, we were in the book of Mark. And in just a few weeks, we'll be back to that. And what you might remember about the book of Mark is that it is very dynamic. It's very action-packed. Everything happens so quickly. You know, Jesus is, is doing something. He's healing something, but then everyone tries to kill him. So he hops in a boat and he sails across the ocean. And then suddenly there's a, there's a demon there. And it's all just like that. Very quick, lots of use of the word, you know, immediately this happens or, or suddenly that happens. And what we're going to see this morning in the book of John is something that we don't really usually get to see a lot of in the book of Mark. And that is an entire conversation that Jesus has with someone. And, it's, and when I say entire conversation, I mean the, the whole thing. Every beat of this conversation is mapped out for us. And it is a fascinating conversation. So let's read, shall we? John chapter 4. And I've asked Max just to hop up and read John chapter 4 from verse 1. Thanks, Matt. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have, you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Brilliant. Thank you, Max. Wonderful. Okay, so here's the scene. Jesus who is a Jew, is not in Israel. He's not in Judah. Instead, he is passing through Samaria, the home of the Samaritans. And Jesus, in the middle of the day, with the disciples away, ends up talking to this woman of Samaria by the, by the town well. So he asks this woman for a, for a, a, a drink of water from the well, and the, and the woman reacts with some surprise. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So the cultural expectation here is that the Samaritans and the Jewish people have nothing to do with one another. The Jews don't speak to the Samaritans. The Samaritans don't speak to the Jews. For a, for a myriad of, of religious and historical reasons, these two people groups just aren't the best of friends. So not only should a Jew not speak to a Samaritan, but also a Jewish man ought not be speaking to a Samaritan woman. Especially not a holy rabbi teacher figure like Jesus speaking to this specific woman with her specific past. A past that we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. But Jesus, it doesn't, just doesn't seem like he's very bothered with the cultural expectations, it seems. He's straight in there. He asks for a drink, and the woman reacts with surprise. And Jesus says, well, hang on. If you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, actually, you would be asking me for a drink if you knew who I was. Because I, Jesus says, I have, I have living water to give you. And, and she's, she's a bit puzzled by that as well. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Are you greater than Jacob? You see, Jacob is this great... The, the, just a great figure for both the Samaritans and the, and the Israelite people, right? J- Jacob is the great patriarch, the, the father figure, the one that they all look back to as the kind of, in a way, the, the source of life for them all. And even now, like hundreds of years later, for, for the woman, this well that Jacob has dug is still a source of life hundreds of years later. Jacob's a big deal, Jesus. Are, are, you, are you coming here to, to draw water for, for me? Are you going to dig a well? Are you going to be a source of life? And of course, the irony is that Jesus is greater than Jacob. And yes, he is going to provide life. Yet, in, in fact, Jesus is going to dig a well. You know, he says, oh, this, this water I have to give you, it's actually very different from the water you've got. See, you dig a well, you, and you have to come every day. You have to put a lot of effort in. You've got to draw, draw the water up. And then sometimes wells, they get contaminated. Wells, wells dry up. But my water, ah, oh, no, see, my water is very different, Jesus says. My water is dynamic. There's something that flows it. This is the water that I have to offer. It's very, very different. You've got to keep coming back to this well to draw it up. But the well I give you, the water I have to give you, just a taste of it, you will never have to come back to this well ever again. 
You ask me whether I'm, I'm greater than Jesus, uh, Jacob. Well, Jesus says, you know, you, he, Jacob gave you this well, but, and you ask me whether I'm going to dig a well. Well, I want to dig a well. You know, if you want me to, I'm going to dig a well. And you, oh, hang on. How about something way better? Way better than a, a well, because the well, you have to put effort in to draw the water up. But what if instead I make in you a spring? What if I cause living water to, to bubble out from you rather than this st- static dynamic water that you have to keep going back to? What if I just make water bubble up and flow from within? That's the only way that you don't have to keep coming back day after day to this well. That's the only way is if you have this water that I have. And it becomes clear, doesn't it, that Jesus, he's not really talking about water here. See, what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying here is something very interesting about what it means to seek God, what it means to look to God. I think it's, it's, it's particularly interesting to us in Ottawa because what Jesus is saying is that seeking God is not merely an intellectual exercise. See, what we can think, and I think think mistakenly, is that everything that we are drawn to, everything we desire, we are drawn to or desire because we have consciously made a decision. I'm going to desire this. I'm going to be drawn to this. I'm going to choose to believe that. And those of us who are in the room, maybe the standard Ottawa educated Canadian, what we might think is, well, yes, that, that is how I think. I make those. We like... You know, citations, we like footnotes, we like peer-reviewed journals, we want repeatable scientific experiments and mathematical proofs, and we like to think that is how we make all of our decisions. That's how we like to think we function, at least. We trick ourselves into thinking that we are completely rational people. And what Jesus does here, when he talks about water is he unlocks how it is that we really work. Jesus goes to the appetite. Jesus goes deeper than just the mere intellectual. See, Jesus knows that as humans, we are always drawn to some goal, right? Whether we thought about it or not, you know, the truth is that we are, are like sharks. We're always moving. You know how sharks, they say that sharks never stop moving. Well, Jesus knows that that's, we're never stationary. There's always an ultimate desire that we are heading towards, whether we put thought into it or not. See, Jesus really, if you read the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, Jesus really doesn't talk very much about embarking on big quests for knowledge that only the brightest and sharpest amongst us can ever hope to attain. Jesus doesn't do that, no. Jesus goes deeper, right? He, he goes to the desires that we have. He talks about water, doesn't he? Live in water and says, are you thirsty? Do you want a drink? Or if not water, he will say, you know, I am the bread of life. Do you want to eat? Do you want to feast? Are you hungry? For some of you, that's, that's honestly why you're here at Grace City this morning. For you, it is, it is deeper than just the intellectual. You want something more. You know, I, I remember back, back in England at the church I was at, 
when I lived there, uh, there was this friend of mine who I got to know. She was in my life group, and she told me about the first time she came to church, and she had been asked by a, by a friend, come along to church. And she was actually asked a load of time, come on, come along to church this Sunday, come along. And finally, she said, oh, okay, I will, I'll come along. To-. So she came along to church at, just, you know, just as the service started and sat right at the back. Um, and when people got up to sing, as is often the case in churches, she just started crying. And she cried through the whole service and just thought, this is weird. This is horrible. This is awful. I don't like this. I don't know what, I don't know what is going on right now. And so right at the end of the service, she legged it. She was like, I am never going back there ever again. It's weird. Who wants to go to church and, and cry in a bun- before a bunch of strangers? Singing strangers. The worst kind of stranger. <laughs> Who wants to do that? And so she said, oh, I'm never going back to church. But then Sunday came around again, and, and she said, I don't want to go, but I, I, I feel like I have to go. I feel like I must go back there. And she comes back again, and she cries through the whole service. And this is the, and she just keeps doing this until eventually she becomes a Christian, <laughs> becomes one of those singing people that she was so scared of originally. She, no, I... I If she were here, if she had the microphone this morning, she would tell you, I don't know why I kept coming back. I I don't have a a reason, capital R, reason for for coming back. I guess she would say, I guess I was just drawn. Or someone was drawing me. It It wasn't until I saw all those Christians singing that I just realized they had something I had to have, something I was thirsty for. For some of you here this morning, that's you. You can't reason why you're coming along to church or have been coming along to church, but you are drawn back. Could it be that you are spiritually thirsty? See, many, many in this city, right, they're chasing after influence at work, success in business, uh, education in academia, They will bounce their whole lives from promotion to promotion to retirement, from singleness to marriage to kids to death. And they will never once, they will never once think about deeper purpose, things of eternal significance or the state of their soul. They just won't. And if you this morning are realizing that I am spiritually thirsty, Make no mistake, that is the evidence of God in your life. God is doing something. Perhaps the words of Jesus would apply to you this morning. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Whether you feel like that or not, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So Jesus talks about seeking God like being thirsty but all of this, it seems, goes over the head of the woman somewhat. She doesn't, she's still thinking in very uh, practical terms. And she responds. She says, you know what? I would, love, I would love never to have to come every day to this water, this well. If you've got better water, if you've got this living water, let me drink of that. That's this magical water that I will never have to drink again. Give me that if you, if you can, Jesus. And what's really interesting is that we might 
imagine, this is the moment, right? This is the moment where Jesus goes, aha, I haven't really been talking about water this whole time and reveal the metaphor. It's ours. I'm being very clever. No, we might think that's, you know, this is the moment for Jesus to go in for the kill. Like he's done with other people and say, okay, follow me. Come and follow me. And we think Jesus is going to do that. And, and Jesus doesn't. Instead, he goes, where is your husband? It's like, well, what? We were heading in this direction, and then you've just 90-degree conversational. T- what, Jesus, what are you, why are you asking that? Well, the reason why becomes very evident. I don't have a husband, she responds fairly tactfully. And Jesus says, you're right. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus reveals that he knows, that God knows exactly who she is, that she is not a stranger to him. Jesus reveals, actually, you know what? He's still talking about water. Jesus is saying, listen, just like you've been coming to this well every day and drawing up water that doesn't satisfy, you've been going to the well of relationships and, and they, yeah, you've been drawing that water, and it seems to promise so much, but the, then you drink, and the water is stale and dusty and, and, doesn't, and salty and doesn't, just doesn't satisfy. That first marriage, you drank, and it just didn't hit the spot. And the second marriage, again, you, you drank from that, and you just think, no, that didn't work. And the third one, the, I don't know, no dice, doesn't satisfy. Fourth marriage, fifth marriage, now onto the sixth serious relationship. It all just leaves you with a drier mouth and a drier soul than before. Jesus is still talking about water. He's still talking about appetite. What was it that Jesus said again? The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says eternal life, that's the antidote to the things of this world that just don't satisfy. Eternal life. And, and we in the room who would say we're, we're Christians, we can often fall into this trap of thinking about eternal life as this thing far away in the future. Right, one day when we're dead, we'll cash in, and then we'll get the you know the eternal life. But if that's the case, if eternal life is something for the for the future only, then what is our expectation for the experience of eternal life now? Probably not very much. But what does Jesus say about eternal life? Does Jesus say anything different about eternal life? I think he does. He he says this. So later in the book of John, there's this prayer that Jesus prays to his father. And he's praying for all the people who would follow him, for his disciples, for you this morning, if you're a Christian. And he prays to his father this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. That's eternal life. Eternal life is not just, oh, you know, the, the get out of hell free card. One day I'll cash it in. No, eternal life is, is something that we as Christians get to experience now. What does, if that's the case, if knowing God is what eternal life is, how does that change our expectation for what we get to drink daily? I'll tell you, it's real closeness with God, knowing him, friendship with him, intimacy with him. 
let me, let me just put the question to you. No filter this morning. Do you know God like this? Do you know God like this? I, I don't mean have you heard things about God? Have you, do you know lots of things about God? Were you baptized as an infant? Did, I don't mean were you, did you go to a, a Christian school? I, I, I don't mean did you, did you piggyback on someone else's faith? I don't mean any of, of this. What, what I mean is, is your experience of eternal life what Jesus talks about when he says eternal life is about knowing God? And knowing Jesus, have you tasted that? It's an important question. It's a really important question. Because, you know, if an experience of joyfully walking with God is available right now, why would we leave that on the table? Why would we do that? Because life, especially because life can be so tough, can be so dry, can be so painful. I get thirsty quick. I want to drink deeply. You know, just a few chapters later in the book of John, Jesus invites people to come and drink again from this living water, from this eternal water. And John just adds this little extra bit. He explains what it is that Jesus is talking about here. And he says, now this, he's talking about the living water. He says, now this, he said about the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, Jesus has been glorified. Jesus has risen from, the, from, from death and Pentecost has happened and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all who believe. And my question again is, do you know this? Do you know what it's like to be so close with God that he lives within you, that there is this constantly replenishing source of refreshing water given, provided by God's presence going with you? Do you know that? And that's how Jesus talks to this woman. Do you, do you want this now? Do you want to drink now? Not later. Not later when you're dead in the next life, but now. There is something deeper going on in this story as well. Something deeper. Uh, something to do with the, the very setting of how Jesus approaches the woman at the well. Right? There's a context thing that unless we know about this, we might just miss we could read the story and never, and never know. You know, context is important, right? You know, ima- imagine Pete comes to me. Because Pete, I don't know if you know Pete. Pete is this, just a, a massive fan of Beyonce. Uh, he just loves, <laughs> just loves Beyonce. Is that true? <laughs> I, I thought I was lying to everyone. <laughs> was that like an improv rules? Yes, and I will accept whatever reality you've presented me with. So Pete is now, from two seconds ago, a massive fan of Beyonce. And he comes to me and says, Matt, I want you to listen to one of the 15 copies of, of Lemonade that I have. Because I just want you to love Beyonce as much as, as much as I do. And I go away and listen to Lemonade. And I come back and go, Pete, I love that album. I loved how Beyonce was just singing about how her grandmother, her, when she was a child, taught her to make lemonade. Um, and you would say, well, Matt, I, th- I, think, I think you've missed the context. I mean, Beyonce is singing about so much more. It's a, me- it's a metaphor. It's, it's about all sorts of things. It's about the difficulty of being a black woman in America. It's about, it's about all sorts of things. Don't just think it's about the grandmother who's taught. Do you see? Context is important. Knowing what's going on represents... <laughs> I think that worked. <laughs> There's a deeper thing going on when Jesus comes to the woman at the well. 
There's a deeper thing. Because in the Old Testament, there's all these stories, all these stories of, of, of moments where people are met at wells, right? So Isaac, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is met at a well. Moses, where does Moses meet Zephora? At the well. Jacob, remember, we're right now in the story at Jacob's well. Where does Jacob meet his wife, Rachel? A well. It just, I was like, oh, is this a trick question? No, it's still, it's still a well. It's still a well. <laughs> Jesus comes to this woman at the well and starts to talk to the woman about her failed past relationships, her past failed marriages. You're, he's saying, you're, you're tired. You're so tired of this water that doesn't satisfy. You've tried all sorts of relationships to try and find meaning. They just haven't worked. What about a new kind of water? What about for you this morning, a new kind of water, a new kind of relationship that, that can meet the promises? What about that? An intimacy with God that lasts and that delivers. You know, this is why so often throughout the Bible, Jesus is referred to as a bridegroom. This is the picture that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And all the guys in the room go, I don't want to be a bride. Now get over it. It's a helpful picture. It's a powerful picture because it speaks of, of the closeness that we really get to have with God and walk with every day. So I ask again, do you know God like this? Because if you don't, you must. You must. Until you do, you will be just like this woman, drinking from well after well of unsatisfying water, never feeling whole always feeling parched. See, this is the extraordinary thing that the woman discovers, right? When, when Jesus comes to her, that what is available here is that this is the chance, the, the only chance I think it's possible to have to be fully known and fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. And you don't usually, you don't usually get these both. You don't, usually, you, you don't find that in this life. You don't find that in this world. You can think of all the, the usual ways you might expect to see that, the way that people put up a certain representation of who they are on social media. This is my life, and if I present this to you, then I'll be accepted. But how about more kind of personal heavy ones, right? Like, like in romantic relationships, there can be this tendency, can't there, for us to... There can be this tendency for us to, to put on the, the perfect boyfriend or the perfect girlfriend face because otherwise, if they see who I really am, I might, I, I might be rejected. And I know that I'm saying that and I'm like, I, there'll be people here who go, actually, no, Matt, Matt I have. I have done that. I've let people in. I've let people see who I really am and the person I've been and the things that I've done. And Matt, I've been rejected for that. And that is kind of my point. That is what happens in this, in this world, in this life, that to be fully known and fully loved is exceptionally rare. You know, I'm not, I'm not, getting, all, I'm not getting all Disney here, not Disney animation. Let it go, let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Just don't hold it back anymore. Just let them see who you really are on the inside. And some of us will go, I know what it's like to have done that. I know what it's like to have let it go and see who I really am and had people go, no, I don't, I don't, and, be, and, and received rejection for that. 
We, you know, those sorts of songs, we, we, we like the message, but the songs in practice, they don't, you know, because, baby, you're a firework. <laughs> Just show them what you're worth. You're brighter than the moon. It's always been inside of you. And we go, I like the idea. But then we think back of, of actually where we've been, where we've lived, the things we've done, the consequences of that. And we go, actually, I don't, I don't want people. I don't want to let people in. I don't want people to see because I know what it's been like when other people have seen. And I've been rejecting. You know, some of us, periods of our life have actually been quite dominated by other people's rejection. You know, I, I know I'm kind of be silly and sing some frozen lyrics, but for some of us, you're like, I don't know why anyone's laughing. This is painful. This is painful because I have lived under the shadow of other... Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. You're living under the shadow of other people's rejection because we know that there are some things about us, things we've done, people we've been, maybe things we're doing and the people we are right now that are legitimately ugly. And we hide that away. And we, and we call that shame, don't we? That's the word for this. That's the word for this, shame. And I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know if there is a God. And some of these religious words, I just, I just don't know about sin, right? I don't know about the word sin. It seems sin. It seems so religious. But hang on a second. What if, what if we start talking about shame? Ooh, oh, we know that. We know the feeling of shame, right? I don't know if you've ever been, I don't know, caught out in a lie. Right, and just the feeling of sickness in the stomach and the dryness in the throat. Shame. We know shame, don't we? Who you are finally being revealed. You might not believe in sin, but you can't deny shame unless you're like an unfeeling robot. Maybe you are. But this woman, she is no stranger to shame, right? There is a reason. There is a reason why she is only coming to the well in the middle of the day in the Middle East, where it's very hot, she wants to avoid everybody else. She has been rejected, and she has felt the shame of her community, so much so that she is doing her very best to avoid people. But there's a reason why Jesus is out by the well at this time as well, to meet her, even though Jesus knows absolutely everything, everything about her, Jesus wants to welcome her into a life-giving relationship with God. See, that, that's the acceptance. That's the grace. That's the, the thing of being, of being fully known and yet fully loved by God. And, and, and the acceptance that, that Jesus has to offer, that he wants to welcome her into, is not some sort of woolly, fluffy acceptance. Oh, I'll just keep going, you know. Oh, now, you know, just keep, let, let me know if the eighth, ninth, tenth marriage, maybe that. No. Jesus goes, I want to give you a whole new, brand new source of water. And it's water that pro- Jesus promises to make spring up in this woman. See, at the, at the very end of the story, I, I love this because... She runs to her town. She runs to those people who had rejected her, who, who had shamed her. And she says to them, come, come and see this man. He's told me everything I ever did, and he still loves me. And I love that because it's evidence that already, already the spring of water is welling up. It's just flowing out without the effort of drawing things up. But no, I, I've met Jesus, and it has 
it has changed everything. And everyone else has to know, but come and see this man who fully knows me and yet fully loves me as well. That's what a spring does. It's not forced. It just comes out. The spring of eternal life bubbles out to her, flows to her community. Many people come and they see Jesus as well, even the ones who have hurt her. That's the transforming power of the grace of God, of being fully known, all the ugly past, forgiven, washed away, and yet fully loved as well. That's the dynamic, life-giving experience that, listen, this is available to you this morning, whether you know God or not. If you don't know God, that, if you're like, I, I don't know what you're t- talking about here. I, I have not experienced what it is like to know God. This is what's on the table. This is what's on the table. If, if you're thinking, going, actually, I am. I'm fine and I am thirsty. And I'm fine and I want, I want what, you, what you're talking about. Come and find me at the end. I'd love to talk with you, maybe pray with you. I'd love to answer any questions you might have. But Christians in the room, if you're thinking, actually, my experience, my experience of Christianity is one that is dry. Maybe you're just saying, I just, I just feel dry. Know that that is not what God has for you. And you might be thinking, oh, I hope someone can pray for me at the end. I just, I don't know. Right now, I just feel that actually, here's what, you don't need to come to me or any of the life group leaders and have us pray for you. Right now, we're going to stand and worship God. And God, listen to me, God is here. And God is close. He's not far away. He's not distant. He has given his son so that he can come close to you, so close that he would place his Holy Spirit within you. So come in worship, even if it's just, you know what, I'm going to shut my eyes and I'm going to sing in worship. God's here. Let's see what he does. So would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have done everything, everything that's required for us to come and drink deep. Thank you that you cause water to to flow from us. Thank you for giving your Holy Spirit that you haven't left us alone or as orphans, but you live inside. Thank you for doing everything that we get to come to you and enjoy you and have joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray.